Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is fellow podcaster and maybe Earth's mightiest podcaster, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, how's it going today? This is fun. I like doing this every episode about giving you some kind of crazy, crazy name to see how you react. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Well, I guess you can start expecting it because I'm going to try to yeah. throw something in every All episode right. once we do this. So. <laughs> as long as it's flattering, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that it will be. I'm hoping it will be. Sometimes maybe I'll be snarky. Maybe I'll have a bad <laughs> evening and this is what <laughs> the fruits of that will be. It was just me ragging on you, but probably not because we're good friends. It's good. <laughs> so we're in the uh, the third episode of the first season of Marvel Studios slash Disney Plus's What If believe this episode was called or is called what if the world lost its mightiest heroes now you hinted last episode that we're probably jumping back into phase one where we get all the great origin stories and of course you were right this is chock full of what i would call the a-list or the the primary avengers those that really make up the a-team not that a-team but a different a-team for marvel (laughs) what'd you think about this one i thought this was the best yet in terms of just my enjoyment of it not in any way putting down those first two episodes i think they were fantastic as well but because this really did dive into those early mcu films which i think as much as they are somewhat uneven in quality they also launched everything and it was so exciting i think we mentioned this last time when we first heard samuel l jackson come in and talk about the avengers initiative like we were finally getting the marvel universe that we always wanted where these characters lived and could potentially interact with one another in a live action series of films and again we got quite a few marvel movies in the decade preceding the first mcu film of iron man but they were all standalone right there were x-men movies by fox there were spider-man movies by sony or columbia pictures you also had random movies like hulk or Ghost Rider, or Punisher. like They all just existed in their own worlds, right? From different studios. But here we had Marvel kind of really focusing their attention onto a a universe of characters that had the potential to work together. When we first were, as I said, introduced to Nick Fury in the MCU, played by Samuel L. Jackson, we all knew what was coming. We knew, okay, this is it. This is the Marvel Universe, just like in the comics, where they can all dip their toes in in each other's films and potentially have a team up at the end of it. So those first few films, and this this episode kind of touches on Iron Man. It touches on the first Incredible Hulk, the one that starred Edward Norton, actually, even though in this episode we get the return of Mark Ruffalo as the voice. We have all those films, except for maybe... Captain America, the first Avenger, because they already kind of covered that in the first episode. So here we have all those films leading up to the Avengers film are kind of getting their what if treatment here. For me, it just made me want to go back and rewatch all these movies again and re-experience them because it's, it's been over 10 years, I would say, since I've watched any of that phase one group of films. It might be time. I might reevaluate them, rewatch them and, and appreciate them in a new light after all these years. I have the same kinds of thoughts. I enjoyed this one 
I won't say as much as the first two. The second time through on my on my note taking, I think I caught a little bit more that made me enjoy it more. It wasn't as high as the first two. I think I think I got like two good shots in the arm and then I got kind of a nice kind of back rub on the third one. Like it was really nice. good because it was familiar. But I love the approach of really taking something that was connected by Nick Fury and telling that story about if we didn't have these heroes, would we even have an MCU? And what I think this episode does is it says that nothing will stop the Avengers. So I won't say that the meta narrative here is that nothing is going to stop the MCU or Disney from <laughs> from doing this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But at this point, you kind of feel like nothing can stop that train. They could make trash and people would be like, it's good trash. You know, all trash <laughs> is good trash. And if it's MCU <laughs> trash. As long as it's canon. <laughs> <laughs> if it's canon trash, it's good yeah. trash. <laughs> But you're right. We didn't have any connecting pieces before this. And I remember the first stinger I saw was actually the Incredible Hulk, believe it or not. So Mm. I I was a fan of Ang Lee's Hulk. I thought that was a nice cerebral take on the character. But watching Edward Norton and this sort of MCU take, this early kind of storytelling, this early kind of tone that we talked about before playing itself out was really, really well done. And then we get those first instances of the stingers, the mid credit sequence, the end credit scene. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was even thinking about this. I went to a movie today that was not an MCU movie. And what did I do? And what I'm doing with every movie now, I'm checking my phone to say movie end credits in the search because, you know, is there going to be something? And I'm almost annoyed because I don't want there to be. I don't want every movie to have this. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, this one had three, and I was like, I'm not sticking around. I'm just going to read about it. This is, I'm going to protest by leaving. <laughs> I'm just going to do this. But yeah, that really kind of sparked the connecting pieces with Nick Fury being the connecting piece for all these different characters to come together. And it also kicked off the whole idea of what's next with the mid credits and end credits scene. And the treatment that the origin stories get is really cool because it starts with Nick Fury instead of ending with Nick Fury. So each movie ends with Nick bringing a team together or making a comment about it. This time, the first line, I think outside of The Watcher, is Nick Fury talking to Natasha about putting this team together. Then we get introduced to the first of, I think, maybe three of the movies with, as you mentioned, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and Thor. I was surprised, Adam, at how quickly Iron Man gets taken out. Like, I was expecting more screen time for him because, again, I think it's that opposite effect. Like, okay, well, the person that kicked it off, we'll go ahead and just kill him instantly. I also like the fact that we get Nick Fury's snarkiness in this kind of episode where he comes up to Tony, he's eating a donut, and he says, Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. But the fact that he is killed off within, like, the first two minutes of the episode is pretty bold. And that makes me wonder, perhaps they reached out to Downey Jr. He was unavailable or unwilling. I don't know. If he had said yes, perhaps they would have factored that in to the yeah. role, right? And said, hey, well, if you come on board, we'll beef up your, your part a little bit, right? You never know, because sometimes actors want to feel like they're really needed and that their part has value. And if he thought, oh, it's just a line or two, like, eh, it's not worth it. But they did get so many of the actors back. And again, Samuel Jackson is back as Nick Fury. We get Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, Hawkeye. Mark Ruffalo, as I said, as Bruce Banner, Hulk. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson, which which I think is fantastic because 
I love his character. I was a big fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when that was on ABC. And it was so nice to hear his voice again because it's so recognizable as this character of Phil Coulson. So that was great. And there were a few smaller parts as well, as well as Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, which I don't know who they could have found to kind of do a Michael Douglas impression because there's just something so specific about his voice. Again, so recognizable from so many iconic films that if you didn't have him, it might not have worked. And again, maybe they reached out to a lot of different actors and Michael Douglas was game. Who knows? And maybe that's why they decided to uh, make him the villain, you know, in this episode, which we'll get into. But I just want to reemphasize that what I think makes these episodes of What If work so well are these voice casts because they really do feel like we're picking up where we left off with these characters in the films. We, we have, we've grown to, to love and care about many of these characters and appreciate the performers that brought them to life. And here they are doing that again, just in a, an animated form. And it just, for me, really solidifies that this is part of the MCU. It's not like some kind of cheap knockoff, you know, but it really is with, again, most of those, those actors returning. I think the key role that was not fulfilled by the original actress would be Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson, of course, didn't, did not come back for this. But uh, Lake Bell, who's a very good actress in her own right, took on the role. And I think she did a really good job. So again, an amazing voice cast and great work with the animation as usual. Great action. Just it works on, on a lot of different levels. And I also like the fact that this episode really captures this great whodunit story. Oh, yeah. Just like the last episode kind of gave us that great heist episode. So this is something else that you can have fun with with a series like this is to kind of take a genre type, um, a mystery thriller or maybe a romantic comedy, and you can kind of overlay it on top of these characters that are so familiar. And so that may be what we're going to get in subsequent episodes. But I think it gives the creative teams that opportunity to say, you know what, I want to do a buddy comedy, a road movie. Well, let's put these two characters in here and see what happens and just use their histories to kind of help elevate that story. And I think that's kind of what's happening here, whether it's intentional or not. The last two episodes, this last one and and this one, are really kind of showing that off where you have, okay, if we're going to do a heist movie, what's the best way to do it in the MCU? Well, we got to use the Guardians of the Galaxy because that's who they are. So that approach, I think, allowed for what I thought was really interesting as well, and that's the expansion of these characters that don't get a lot of screen time until the later films, particularly Nick Fury and Natasha. These are our two main people, and Coulson, as you mentioned. Yeah. These three main characters who are part of Stingers or are coming in as supplementary characters. You know, Black Widow didn't get her own movie until, what, 2021, I think, or 2020. Maybe it's the pandemic kind of screwed up my whole brain, but sometime <laughs> in one of those two years, she didn't get a lot of screen time apart from being an Avenger, apart of being a supporting cast member. So having her and Fury and Coulson really sort of drive the story and using these main characters like Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, and even Hawkeye as the kind of quick picks (laughs) and you're picking them off to help push the story forward. I thought was a really great choice because we get to know Nick Fury. In fact, one of the things I noticed near the end is when he takes on Hank Pym this is really the first time that I've seen him. And I'm again, I haven't seen the movies in a while, but this is the first time that I really see Nick Fury showing off his physical prowess, his ability to actually fight instead right. of just being that, you know, one eyed guy in the, in the background 
building this Avengers initiative, taking, you know, taking over shield and all that kind of stuff. I liked seeing him, you know, slap down Hank Pym like a fly that he is <laughs> like not once, but like three times. And I thought this is something that we don't get to see a lot of. So this really gave an opportunity to really expand the enjoyment of these characters. You mentioned some of the action. I thought, man, that, that scene in the armored car where Natasha, you know, gets out of the, the handcuffs. Yeah. She doesn't just punch. Like she is like rabbit punching these guys and the guy in front, you know, sitting in the passenger side is like, wait, what's going on here? And then he goes around and she's gone. He's like, oh, come on. You know, like, yeah. really? This is something that I think is three for three when it comes to that, the action. That was such a great scene in the back of that, that van. And again, with animation, you can do things you can't necessarily do with live action actors. And this is a great example of that. The action was incredibly believable. It never looked like she was some, doing anything superhuman, but it was faster than probably a human should be able to move. And so choreographed in a way that it was believable that she could take on a whole van full of guards like she did. And in such a methodical manner where she kind of just went down the line, she took the guy out to the left and right of her, and then the next row, then the next row. And she was just moving so quickly with such precision and such force that like, they didn't even have a chance in that closed space to take her out, you know, to, to, to block her, to prevent her from escaping in a live action setting, you could pull it off, but it wouldn't have quite the same effect as they were able to achieve through, through this animation technique that they're this style of animation that they've employed for this series. Absolutely. So, uh, just it's, I'm always, I'm really enjoying that aspect of it more than anything. Whenever they pull out these really larger than life action sequences that still feel grounded in reality, but they definitely are, can do more and have more fun than you can always do with a live action actor and that's part of the reason why i think in a lot of these mcu films the third act often turns into a cgi fest because that's the only way they can really have these actors fight in ways that are not realistic in the in the sort of grounded sense so they just sort of devolve into these cgi battle scenes that often for me take me out of them a little bit and i wish there wasn't right such an overuse of cg in a lot of these mcu films yeah I was reminded when you said that of Captain America, the winter soldier that has the famous airport fight, the superhero battle. And I remember saying on our episode of feel and film that I enjoyed the first half of the winter soldier because it felt like a grounded espionage movie with a lot of practical effects, great chase sequences, great choreography, close up fights. And then it turned into a superhero movie on the back half with that big giant sequence where you have the introduction of Spider-Man and you have Ant-Man being really huge. And what do people remember? They remember that back half. They remember that that's the scene that sort of gave us the first glimpse of, oh my gosh, it's Avengers versus Avengers. And what what's going to happen here? Cap versus Iron Man. And rightly so. I mean, it was cool to watch, but you're right. It really felt unrealistic, but not like a bad thing. It felt very super heroic, which it's supposed to but I'm a person who's like, when I've got somebody like the Winter Soldier with his bionic arm, I want close-up fights. And I think that the animated sequences here in all three of these episodes gives us that because we're not limited to an actor's choreographic limitations. Right. We're really sort of only limited to the ability to animate from the talent of the animators. And clearly, 
we're already impressed. We know the animation style and the ability to put these things together using a combination of, I guess, hand-drawn art, as you mentioned, and um, and digital. Yeah, it's like digital um, characters that are being animated, but then it, there's sort of like a two-dimensional coloring effect that's applied to the surface so that it sort of resembles the you know more classic hand-drawn color palette or feel of animation. But again, it's not actually being drawn by, by artists and scanned into the computer or anything so it's it's just a it's a unique blend really of of more than one sort of style so i've got two questions for you first yeah were you surprised at how quickly tony and thor and then hawkeye exited the episode so quickly were you surprised that that happened so quickly so if it wasn't for the title i think i would have been but right in the title we have what if the world lost its money as heroes. So right. I, I, got, I wasn't sure how they were going to go about <laughs> us losing them. You know, that was sort of the question like, well, how are we going to lose them? What does that mean? I think we even mentioned this last time. But as soon as we lost Tony Stark, Iron Man, and within the first, you know, five minutes, I was like, okay, someone's killing them. At first, we of course think it's Black Widow who may have done something, but she's clearly unaware of what she had done. So like you said, it becomes kind of, it becomes a mystery of who done it. And yeah, I, I was not surprised to see them sort of getting picked off one by one. It's interesting how in each case, almost it's someone is being framed for the murder, right? So first yeah. Black Widow is being framed, then Hawkeye is being framed for the murder of Thor, who I don't even think speaks in the role, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is good because they probably couldn't get Hemsworth back. But he still has a great presence in this episode. And there's some really, some of the funniest lines <laughs> I think come from his, his screen time when we have Phil Colson kind of watching him uh, through binoculars, I guess, kind of observing him. He just has some <laughs> of the funniest lines and, and Hawkeye as well. They're both just basically yeah. admiring his, his physique and his, his hair and his good looks, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> He's a Caucasian male, mid twenties with really great hair excuse me it's an accurate description sir he's gorgeous (laughs) oh my gosh that was so funny and and one of the reasons i love that colson's in this i mean it's just very honest and then barton (laughs) confirms it he says whoa colson wasn't lying about the hair it's so good and then even after he uh he's checking the body colson says wow even while rotting he smells like lavender really It's just, yeah. I think nobody else but Colson could say those lines. Nobody else could deliver those lines like Colson could. I just no, think he's no, so great. Hey. I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more Thor, but I think you're right. If Chris Hemsworth couldn't be a part of any of the dialogue, I think that theory that you have about uh, Robert Downey Jr. may hold up with, with him as well. But I also think it would have probably lengthened it to a point where it may not have been completely necessary the the point of the episode was not to linger on these characters but to really get to the main point which is that hank pym is the one kind of picking all of these guys off yeah and for legitimate reasons his daughter hope who had joined shield was killed in action and he's trying to get revenge which honestly maybe it's because i haven't seen these movies recently but that was a really great surprise i had no idea with all those things i thought specifically with Stark, Thor, 
and Hulk. Yeah. I would not have pegged Hank Pym being at the center of that because all three of those characters were essentially killed by something that was, you know, going into them, like either a syringe or an arrow or a bullet, I think for, for Hulk. And so I'm thinking like, who's lacing these things? Is there some, is there some kind of like assassin inside each one of these situations? Like when I think it was when Barton says, I didn't, fire the arrow and i'm like yeah you did like who <laughs> it's right at least he didn't intend to release the arrow and somehow it was released without his his intention but yes it did clearly come from him but it's like he didn't pull the trigger but somehow the bullet was fired right anyway yeah i think for me as well this surprise was one of the best parts of the episode because i was totally not expecting this character to play a role in this episode. And I think I know why, because here we are going back in time to phase one of the MCU, which predates the introduction of Ant-Man and all the characters that appear in those two films. And of course, in the Avengers films where they appear. So we're kind of expecting all the characters that appear to be ones that also appeared in those first sort of four movies right of phase one including loki and and some of the other supporting roles that pop in here so because this was a character that was introduced somewhat later in the mcu you know almost seven years after the first film i believe we get introduced to to ant-man so i think that's why this is all kind of out of left field because our brains are sort of expecting it to be connected to those films themselves, the ones that this episode is having fun with. And so because it doesn't adhere to just those films in more than one way, because we also get some backstory around Nick Fury and Captain Marvel as well, Mm -hmm. who also didn't appear in any of these films, but we later find out through the Captain Marvel film, which is like a prequel to all of this that takes place in the nineties that she was around at this time, but just off planet, right? And not available, I guess, at the time of the invasion <laughs> and of the first Avengers movie. So anyway, yeah, I think that's what made it work so well. So they were really good. They did a really good job at finding a character that you probably would least expect to be the culprit, but also where it makes perfect sense that this character could kill all of these heroes who you would think are so unstoppable in so many ways. They they even talk about that with Hulk, how he can't die. But here you have Hank Pym finding a way to kill him by essentially in a really gross <laughs> scene, like I, like enlarging his heart in such a way yeah. that he kind of just explodes <laughs> from the inside yeah. out. Uh, so it, it was tragic, gruesome. Tragic, man. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the deaths, it was probably my, my most like, Heart-wrenching, no pun intended, maybe all pun intended, just because, I I mean, I like Hulk. I think he's one of the more interesting characters. You know, if I had to rank my favorite characters, Spider-Man's up there for sure, but I think Hulk comes in probably a close second of the MCU just because I I enjoyed Edward Norton's portrayal of Bruce Banner, but Mark Ruffalo in taking up the mantle, I think, has become a really great casting of not only Bruce, but of Hulk. Yeah, you know, we're essentially getting kind of a, a recreation of certain scenes in in Thor and in The Incredible Hulk. So watching that happen to him, watching him explode like that, I'm glad we didn't see guts, but we just saw smoke. So yeah. at least Hank Pym was being nice about how he was going to explode 
the dude's heart. <laughs> but I was really surprised that that happened. Um, by the middle of the episode, I didn't know, okay, are we, are we losing all the heroes? I mean, is, is everybody going to die? And by probably two-thirds of the way in, I was like, okay, I guess Natasha's going to live. You know, she goes to the library. She needs to figure stuff out. This is kind of when the aha moment happens. She calls up Coulson and he gives her his password to get into the S.H.I.E.L.D. directory. And it's hashtag Steve, 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 I heart Steve, 0704. Wow. Good one, Coulson. What? No, nothing. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is, Agent Coulson. Because <laughs> you just have this man crush. Oh, yeah. It, I love that it picks up right where we kind of left off in Avengers, where he is just a huge fan of Captain America with his trading cards, I believe. That, yeah, mm. I mean, th- yeah. they found a nice little way to to remind us that Coulson was a big fan of all things Captain America and that Captain America, even though we have yet to see him in this universe, that he did exist, right? That he was he was in this universe as well but in world war ii and we just haven't yet discovered him frozen in ice yet in this world so it's it's, it was a nice little nod because obviously of all the heroes here he was the one that was omitted captain america was the only original avenger from the avengers movie that we did not see get murdered (laughs) by uh (laughs) by hank pym but yeah yeah that and that i actually was quite shocked that Black Widow was killed because I kind of thought she was the one unraveling this mystery. I actually thought perhaps Nick Fury might be the one to get killed next and that she oh, would be the one yeah. that she would be the only one that could sort of, again, to unravel the mystery, but also clear her name and also clear Barton's name because he was, you know, they were so close and, and he was also accused of killing Thor. So it seemed like that she might become the hero of this, of this particular episode. But the big yeah. thing that I think throws everything out of whack with this episode outside of what we just discussed is then you have Loki appear with his army out of nowhere. And that kind of really throws a wrench in the whole episode. I mean, it's important to the episode, right? Because without Loki essentially using his magic to impersonate Nick Fury at the end, they wouldn't be able to capture Hank Pym and yeah. put an end to his plot. But it also yeah. opens up this universe to an entirely different version of the future <laughs> that is not uh, not quite as good, I guess, as the one that, that we, we experienced in the MCU. Yeah. But it was great. Also great hearing Tom Hiddleston come back because he, he mm-hmm. really owns that character. And I thought he did a good job as well. So, yeah, th- there's a lot going on here. Th- this is what I think these episodes do really well is they, they pack quite a lot in less than 30 minutes that they feel like films like mini films and i guess again that's a credit to the fact that we know that they know that we know so much from the films that they can just show things briefly and we'll know exactly what they're referencing and they don't have to reestablish everything because they already did it in the films and that allows it i think that allows these episodes to work more efficiently than they would otherwise yeah, Loki's introduction is really, really fun here for a number of reasons. Of course, we get another Coulson line right before it where you know, uh, I think Fury's calling him. He's like, yeah, I needed a breather. Got you a double macchiato. He's coming into the, I guess, the shield complex. And then we get that kind of earthquake of Loki's gang of people coming down from, from Asgard. 
And Nick says, are they from Earth? And Coulson says, uh, Middle Earth? <laughs> and we get this army. But the banter between Nick Fury and Loki is just fantastic because it really shows the prowess of Nick Fury, how he can kind of go toe-to-toe with Loki. You've got these two guys that really can deliver some really great snarky lines to each other. And even later, when Nick makes a deal with the devil... He goes to I don't know what what's that giant metal thing called that uh, the destroyer I believe thank you yeah. yeah I think that yeah from the first Thor movie yeah. yeah so he goes up to the destroyer and he's like hey is your boss in and then of course they cut and we see that that's what happens is they make a deal to take out Hank Pym who I believe refers to Loki as a goth kid you know when he <laughs> shows up after he gets revealed I thought that was great. But I really like seeing these two characters in Fury and in Loki on screen because they both have sort of a swagger to them that would be uneven if you were taking Loki against Captain America. I mean, we've seen pairings of that nature, but we've never seen Fury, again, going back to the fact that he gets a lot of great screen time here. We get to see kind of why he is who he is, why he's respected, and I think Pim even says, you move pretty good for a guy who's been behind a desk for so many years. I mean, Fury clearly knows how to hold his own. And I think it starts with that conversation with Loki. In fact, Loki gives that great Asgardian speech of who he is. And he keeps getting interrupted by, by Fury's cell phone. I am Loki, crown prince of Asgard, the rightful king of Jotun... Jotunheim and... God of mischief. Are you going to take that? I'm in the middle of something here. And it's just, I think it sets off what a great kind of back and forth. In fact, I think at some point there's like a seven reference where Loki has the Tesseract that, you know, it's, it's glowing and Fury says, what's in the box? And I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh. Yeah. I think Loki's involvement in this episode really ties everything together and it leads to what an ending that I wanted to kind of ask you, because I got kind of confused. So Loki said, hey, I'm going to stick around for a little while. So by the end of the episode, we have Loki at the United Nations making this speech, saying things like, you were made to be ruled. And we see these cuts to different people around the world who look a little apprehensive. But the scene before indicates that Loki wants to become an ally with Fury. And I'm wondering, we see what Loki does, and then we see Fury mourning over the you know the deaths of the avengers and of course we see him getting cap out of the ice and then Mm -hmm. captain marvel's like you know where's the fight are we to assume they're about to go into battle with loki because he's sort of taken over the un and that he's kind of in charge now or is it something different yeah i think because the original heroes in particular thor was killed loki now doesn't have anyone stopping him from sort of immediately attempting to rule Earth, right? Whereas he also, he tries to do this later on within, in the first Avengers film when he, you know, lets the uh, the aliens in to New York and all of that. But I think that's the key here is that because there's no longer any heroes, especially really superpowered ones up to that point, he kind of makes a decision like, hmm, here's a planet I can take over and there's no one to stop me, right? Whereas in the in the original MCU, we had quite a few heroes, but most importantly, Thor, who was ready to defend Earth, Midgard, 
if you will, so that he couldn't do it. And so, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. It's the idea that that's the what if, right? If these heroes were all taken out of the picture really quickly, Loki would have been able to just kind of steamroll into Earth and do whatever he wants. Of course, Nick Fury still intends to to form his team, and he's got really two captains ready and waiting, <laughs> Captain America and Captain Marvel. It made right. me think of, uh, I was as I noticed that, I was thinking, oh, two captains, one destiny. Do you remember what movie that, that tagline is from? Oh, um, <laughs> hold on. It's not a Marvel um, movie. So. No, <laughs> we did not. no, I can't think of it. It's from uh, the poster to uh, Star Trek Generations, you know, Picard oh, that's and Kirk. right, yeah, Picard yeah. and Kirk, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it just made me think of that. But yeah, it's clearly this is, uh, again, an alternate universe. So in this universe now, Fury is forming a new team. And uh, yeah, they're going to have to go take back Earth, I guess, from, from Loki and his, his army. His, his minions. His, he has minions, his, yeah. As guardians. Yeah, well, this was a yeah. I think I think overall this was a solid solid episode. Were there any other highlights that you wanted to to touch on that we haven't yet? No, not really. I I think that like I said, I just enjoyed this one immensely. But again, primarily because of my fondness of these original MCU films that kind of kicked everything off. It really kind of gave me some nostalgia and took me back to those early MCU days of the late aughts and early uh, 2010s where all this began. So that was a lot of fun. And it's so hard to imagine back then when we had like four or five heroes, you know, potentially joining up. And then I could never imagine that about 10 years later, we would have as many you know Marvel properties out there in, in the world, both on the big screen, on TV, all of this. They really kept their promise in sort of expanding right. the universe. Yeah. And again, all different levels of success out in terms of the ones that work great and some that work not so well, but they're all out there and it's going strong. I was really impressed. And, and the more I watched these episodes, this is a little tangent, but as we talk about the animation, about the style of kind of creating actor likeness and casting the original voice actors, it kind of makes me think that like a bigger budget version of this style could potentially work really well if DC ever decides to expand the Snyderverse and get Henry Cavill back to do the voice, get Ben Affleck back to do the voice of Bruce Wayne and like really do a higher quality version of this style of animation where they capture those actors likeness and continue that world, that Snyderverse, but in this animated style it would be much easier obviously just to record their dialogue than to have to get them all into shape again and and film them right in these characters roles especially if, as they get older so it gives me hope that there might be a way to continue those stories that Zack Snyder had plotted out even if they don't come in the form of live action feature films yeah and that's not something that's unprecedented I mean I remember when Smallville the tv series ended after 10 seasons yeah the showrunner decided to continue the story in comic book form. I don't know if it's still going on. That was several years ago. But I remember that that was a way to continue the stories that the WB wasn't willing to sort of pay for right. <laughs> because the yeah. the ratings were I – mean, and I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Smallville. But even I know when something jumps the shark in 10 seasons, is that's enough. That was a long run, yeah. I, I watched almost all of it, and but it was a long run. And it took a long time to get to the place where we finally got to see the, uh, the yeah, big it's, S. <laughs> right. And I think WAG, the, the Warner Animation Group, 
has a real opportunity with what you're talking about, the ability to take Snyder's scripts, take his storyboards and to say, okay, let's really amp this up a little bit. Because to me, I think the most successful thing going on for DC right now is WAG. All their animated stuff is just really good because they're able to adapt popular storylines, popular comics, and to see those things played out in an animated form, it's a lot cheaper. You don't Mm -hmm. have to have the studio actor that played, you know, you don't have to have Cavill or Affleck. You can have your own superhero, Superman and Batman. But to your point, the ability and the opportunity to be able to sort of expand that Snyderverse even more to tell these stories, it would be less expensive and you'd still get, you still have your cake and eat it too, essentially. So yeah, I think that would be amazing. I would totally support something like that. Yeah. And I think it would give the fans what they want, the fans of Zack Snyder's films. He wouldn't necessarily have to be too heavily involved. He could perhaps be kind of an overseer or, you know, an EP that kind of just keeps tabs on it, ensures the quality is there. But like you said, he already did the plot outlines. He already did a lot of the pre-production work, storyboards and so on. He knows where those stories were going. It's more about just executing it, but in an animation format and hopefully, you know, getting all your, your actors back to do the voice work. Anyway, I know this is a Marvel show we're talking about, but I think we can both say that we're fans of both Marvel and DC. We're not on Team Marvel or Team DC. We're just on Team (laughs) Good Movie. Quality. Team Quality. quality Or Team Superhero. I don't know. If it's a good superhero, I'll I'll watch it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Or in the case of the MCU, if it's if it's trash, as long as it's canon, we'll we'll cover it. Yeah. Then then and that's that falls into a different category where I'll still watch it because I want to make sure I know what's happening, and therefore I can go into the better quality shows where. There are connections, and I'll understand all the the references, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> or love it. Right. Sometimes yeah. I just like it, just like, I think we mentioned, we both kind of were a little let down by um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. It was fine. It was mm-hmm. some good escapist TV, but it yeah. certainly didn't live up to, you know, those Captain America films that we both love, like like Winter Soldier and uh, Civil War, which just were on a whole nother level. And so that's one of the risks, right? When you have such high quality, it's going to be hard to hit that in a TV series on Disney+. Plus. Even though they spent a lot of money, I think that series is one of the most expensive shows ever produced, like $25 million per episode or something obscene. But it's sad because it didn't really show up to me. It didn't I couldn't really see it on the screen. It didn't didn't quite work the way I hoped it would. So yeah, you, you, you salaries, get, salary, salary, yep. salary. Salaries are huge, and and there were some <laughs> there were some big effect sequences, no doubt. But not everything is going to be equal. I think we've said this before with other franchises, whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek, which I like both. And I'm again, I'm not a Star Wars or Star Trek person. I just if it's good Star Wars or good Star Trek, I'm a fan. And yeah. uh, I want good stories. I want good acting. I want shows and movies to take me in places I haven't seen before. This show is doing that. That's the good thing. I like that What If is taking us in places and showing us things that, although familiar from the films, they're going in places that we have not seen before that feel very fresh and new as a result of the What If premise. Well, speaking of things seen or not seen, the watcher spotting, I'm making sure that I'm trying to catch that every episode. (laughs) And there was a watcher spotting. Did you catch it in this episode? I caught two, actually. Um, Oh, I only caught one. Oh, there so was I, the drive, Colson's drive. Yes, that's the first one. Yeah. Where was the second one? 
in the cemetery scene, as the camera's kind of panning down, okay. there's another watcher, or it's the same watcher, but <laughs> off, like, in the fog to the ah. right of the frame, kind of looking gotcha. down over the cemetery right before that whole end battle occurs. So, yeah, there's uh, the watcher's always watching, even if we can't see him. <laughs> He's watching me right now. Yeah. <laughs> We'll definitely be watching for him as he's watching <laughs> us. So, And that will do it for this episode of an original series. Speaking of watching what's coming up, Adam. <laughs> episode four of What If is what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? I'll just let you know that, as I mentioned, when this show first dropped on Disney+, Plus. Just because I was curious, I did watch a couple of the episodes. I think I watched three, but I, they weren't the first three. I kind of jumped around and watched a couple. And this was one of the three that I, I did watch. So I did see this one already, but I'm excited to watch it again. I don't remember exactly what happens. It kind of went out of my brain. But uh, <laughs> I, I will say that this, I believe, at least up to date, is the longest episode coming up. is 38 minutes long. I looked it up. So it will, um, I don't know if that's going to, make it better, make it worse, but it is going to be the longest up to this point in our watch of this series. I don't know <laughs> if we mentioned it last time, but at the end of, of every episode, there is like five or six minutes of the runtime devoted, not even to the production credits, but to the sort of international translation credits for all the countries that this show, that these shows have to be you know, dubbed or translated for. And so there's a ton of work, obviously, that goes into that in different geos. And they, I guess, just want to make one set of credits and one version of the show instead of exporting out dozens of versions with credits for just those territories. So yeah. they do one version and it makes the shows look longer in the Disney Plus app, but then they really are. <laughs> it's a little manipulative. <laughs> so it's probably not 38 minutes. It's like 32 <laughs> 32 yeah yeah because i think I, i'm seeing they're like six five to six minutes a piece of of credits based off of all that but so two things to note from me uh, okay. one this is the second highest rated episode of the first season at 8.9 oh. there's a 9.0 that we haven't covered yet okay and two dr strange the first movie is one that i have not actually seen yet so oh. i have seen the multiverse of madness without seeing the first one so i imagine that knowing the events of multiverse that don't necessarily relate back to something about hands, I probably need to see the first movie. Would that be a correct yes. assumption? Yes, and since I did watch this episode, I can say that it's almost entirely based around the first Doctor Strange movie and his origin story and sort of okay. how he became Doctor Strange. So I would say, yes, perhaps we should both watch the first Doctor Strange in preparation for this episode. I'm willing to rewatch it. It's been a while. I I've so. got it. Yeah. Well, that, that that's our homework between now and our next yeah. recording is watch Doctor Strange. So I need to cut that blind spot out of my eye or I guess out of my hands or my heart. And I'm the opposite. I I haven't seen the multiverse of madness yet. So so we're both missing together right now together we have seen both Doctor Strange films. Good deal. This is why we make a great team, Adam. This is perfect. <laughs> but you're going to be one ahead of me because uh by the time yeah. we record our next episode you'll have seen the first <laughs> doctor strange well if i'm looking correctly the one after the doctor strange what if <laughs> may tie in 
unintentionally to the second Doctor Strange movie because of oh, what's involved okay. with it. So I don't think I saw. I have not seen that one, so I will, okay. I don't even remember <laughs> what that would be. Episode five, right? So yeah, I have not. I think so. Not seen that one yet. Regardless, we'll be doing some watching over the yep. next few days, and maybe the watcher will be watching us watching other watchings or whatever okay no enough watching for us <laughs> that will do it for this conversation officially <laughs> i'm patch he's adam and we are out of here